today, some people more focused on being famous on Instagram, but the real winners are the ones that are focused on building relationships. People won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I had a near-death experience and I had an angel watching what was going down. I was a cut on my body, I was looking down. I know friends that are very wealthy financially and they're miserable sons of bitches. Forgive, forget, move on and enjoy life. Tell your friends you'll love them and you not do the right thing. Welcome back, guys. I got a, what I would do, a brother, a mentor, everything in between. Uh, we're connected at the blood. It, his name ends in the vowel. I got Arnold DeSenter on here, and he's going to share a lot of key things. I, I predict him to be on stages. I predict him to be uh, impacting a lot of people. He already has. He, he's he's going to continue to do so. But I watched your video, Arnold, around mentality and I'm excited for you to share what mentality means to you and how someone so loving and caring, hardworking like yourself, Amir, uh, has been so vulnerable in the short time that we've reconnected. We, you know, fell out of touch the last couple of years. People need to hear your story. People need to hear your story. And, uh, and then I'm excited for you to be here. I'm super grateful. Like I've said, multiple times. so welcome to the all for nothing podcast show before you know it. You're going to be in stages. How about that? How does someone stay in a marriage for over 30 years? I feel like I just answered this question. Sad thing. It's really, it's simple. Um, one, I pick the perfect person that, that could be the relationship to me. But the, the beautiful thing is she's always allowed me to be made. She didn't try to change me. She was never jealous of when I was doing and wasn't doing anything. Um, she always trusted me and encouraged me. And I loved her and respected her every step of the way. First, could think I married this morning as well and I ended met my life. So you just learn to grow together and respect each other. Um, it, it, time just goes by. We go through your ups and downs. We've gone through a lot of stuff. Um, but we just remember that we are together as a couple and we're on this journey together. We do it the right way. You know, we think her sometimes, don't we? I'm talking creatures, they keep keeping it. Um, it's really not that difficult. It's just love and trust and respect. How did you guys be? I got two stories. One, she does the wine came and dough. Um, with your hours. We met, I went out, I went out one night to meet a lady of mine and uh, the beers. Where I was meeting him, um, she happened to be there with her girlfriends. And one of the women there was the girlfriend of the buddy I was meeting. So they invited me on to their table and said, well, hang out with us till he gets here. So I sat with that and then he, it was introduced to her and I had to do a double take because I thought she was so damn cute. And, uh, and my buddy showed up and we went out, we left. The girls we hired and we did our thing. Maybe watch the fight or something like that. That's our hazing out. Two days later, I was on the beach in Rhode Island, Miss Guamica Beach, Trace the Word there in the bars in the, in the summer. And uh, she was there in one of the bars that are open during the day, right on the beach. She gave little things to. And she was with this monster of a man that was talking to her. And I remembered seeing her when I thought, my she's had a pretty big pointer. So I just, Remember, he stay away. And eventually, she came back, garbling. Was like, "Come down. What's the problem? I'm going to be talking to me. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm with your wife, and I don't know why. 
She's like, that guy's been talking to you all afternoon. I can't get away from him. So I was like, well, we don't sleep. We walked outside. We're on the beach and started talking. And we've been holding hands ever since. Mm. So it's been a nice ride. So you're a, a local uh, real estate here in Columbus, Ohio. That's how we originally met. Remember, I was in the mortgage industry. And uh, like I said at the beginning, your last name ended in the bow. So we're connected in the blood. We're, we're fellow Italians. Uh, share a little bit about your, your background. Um, are you from Italy? I can't remember how I'm from. The, yeah, I say I'm from the old country, if that's Brooklyn, nature. Oh, no. Uh, my was born and raised there. Spent the first 13 years of my life. Then my family moved to Connecticut. Okay. Uh, I lived there for 27 years. And then following her and her career, we moved out to Columbus. And I moved out January 2003. And I, prior to moving out here, was a union bike fitter on the East Coast. So I started building nuclear submarines as a 19-year-old out of school. Um, did that for about seven years and then went into the building trades, building casinos, hotels, hospitals, things like that. Um, primarily installing fire sprinkler systems. And um, she was presented with an opportunity um, to move. She was in retail. She moved out here. Shot and seen down to recruited her out of New York City. And... Uh, Gave her an opportunity that was, you know, game changer for her and for the family. So I became a traveling spouse and gave up my union career. Came out here in support of hers and, and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, we'll look at houses. And I saw that the realtor we had was missing some serious points that I thought were important in telling me about the houses we were looking at, mostly about the full mechanics of the house. And by and what what are the mechanics for context to the audience? Like what are styles of the 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 furnace, the AC, the hot one it tanks and condition on the roof, the quality of the construction. You know, we have different builders in my city and there's different levels of quality. And she was never really quite man anything out. And I was noticing when we were looking at John Grimes, that was a movie with doing something really good. And she could not differentiate the information and share with me what was better and what was not. And I remember telling her, oh, we got out of the car. And I was like, you know, she, she made me good at this, but I can do this. And using the shred of my construction background informed our clients um, um, the differences of why something's a hundred grand more, you know, eight grand less. So I decided, you know, I was tired of beating up my body for construction. Got tired of working outside in the elements and that, uh, might have got licensed and, you know, fortunately for me, she was generating a good salary. So it allowed me the time to get up and running. I did the first year I did it. I mean, I didn't know a soul in this town. My first opportunity was to go show houses in Hilly or the Bahamian. The only idea was Hilly was break out a map and find it. And then I had to become an expert in two days. I started showing houses and that first year, I think I made some money brain. You get out and suck. And um, we had a sugar mom, so I felt pass it. Doesn't mean I was going home tonight. Um, but it worked out. You know, it's, it's you, know, you go back to your pledge to how do you make it work. You realize you're, you're on the team and you're not leading the team. You're not charging the team. Maybe in certain areas you're in charge of team that others she is. So we just, I came out in support of her career and that she supported me while I built a career. Meeting tests. 
what are some of the biggest tips that you could give to those in the real estate industry, whether it's a realtor, whether it's a mortgage lender, uh, what have you recognized over recent years that they're dropping the ball and or an opportunity or just overall deep banging tips, things that you can absolutely say if you do an X, Y, Z, they're likely going to get good results. The industry has changed a lot in 20 years I've been involved. Um, it's very fast right now. It's, it's quick. Um, you don't really have time to dive deep into anything to show it, to explain, to make, do research before you even write an offer. Um, a lot of the people that are coming into business think that if they have a business car, they should be driving the city's bands. It doesn't work that way. And if you got to log in the hours, you got to really, but the thing that I find is that today, some people more focused on being, you know, famous on Instagram, but the real one is one of the ones that are focused on building relationships. And I don't mean just with your clients. I mean, with other realtors, other brokers, the home inspectors and lenders, you know, and processors, insurance companies. And it's all about the relationship melting. It was that way when they started selling real estate thousands of years and up to today is you felt a relationship and now you work with people you know and you trust. Um, and the people that you're working for, that you're serving, they know you care because you're interested in their life, not just how much is my creation going to be if they sell this house or buy an hour. Um, so in diving into the relationship, you can generate more money because it just starts to come to you because people realize, well, not one does Arnold know what he's talking about when he cares. People won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's, that's what's worked for me. I mean, 95% of what I do is in word of mouth. I don't have to be, you know, dancing on TikTok. I could just, you know, hang out with Banos and someone's going to send me their cousin or their uncle. Imagine, imagine if you did dance on TikTok. Oh, okay, well, might be able to get a second cousin or their cousin. I don't know, maybe in the chair, you know, hard. That, that, that's, well, one thing you mentioned is relationships with people, right? I'm on a uh, coincidentally, we just actually filmed some things earlier today around what I've referred to as the three P's of business. It's people, processes, profits. And a lot of times people try to go in and change the mechanics of their business, right? All these systems and processes and CRMs and automations and uh, email campaigns and uh, social media posts. So they can grow their bottom line, their profit, right? Sure. That's, that's a part of it. It ups, but it's, it's people. Uh, and one little tip I give people all the time that throws them off guard, check out that haircut. You see that haircut? I mean, it's uh, tight. Uh, number one thing I tell people is to get a better farmer. Uh, the reason why, one, to look better. Yeah. You feel better. But there's people go in relationships in that chair every single day. We're going to end up my barber a little bit more expensive, a little bit harder yell on the calendar. That means that the people that are also probably paying a little bit more, it doesn't always have to be about money, right? Uh, although, yeah, things are your money, time. Right. It's the idea. It's the principle. It's the mentality around leveling up every single person in your everyday life, right? And to tie this all together here, what I'm getting at is, I think a huge mistake a lot of people make, I made it, you buy the seventh book, you go to the 14th mastermind of that, you 
go to the XYZ conference and then you listen to an XC2 video, it's like, uh, you should probably get a better barber. Let me start there. Let's get a better haircut. Deep into those relationships because my barber is also cutting the restaurant owners there that needs help on this real estate deal. Has a question that may want to invest. The barber is also cutting the hair of someone that wants to leave their crappy chop and come work the reveal. So what are some things that you've done? Is it creating a community here in Columbus? Is it joining the community? Is it going to specific events? What are things that you've done to deepen relationships? Um, well, over the years, I found different ways to meet people. So there was never, we never went to a restaurant or a bar where I didn't just peel off and start shitting your hands to talk to being bored. Sorry to cut you off. Have you always been that way? That was actually, I, I, I think I was. Okay. I'll lose this way. Uh, I think I am this way till today. Um, I'm always fascinated by people. I always want to talk to people. I probably left my wife at the table or sitting at the bar for a few minutes by herself to go talk with somebody I may have recognized. Um, she's used to it and she may enjoy the break from me. I don't know, but it's worked out where I, I have always found ways to connect with people at grocery store. My daughter's lacrosse games. I was always building relationships with people and never talking about what I did, never talking about the business, just engaging with them and basically out of pure curiosity and what's going on in their lives and then finding a way to relate to it, not in a phony way, but realistically, um, and then just forging friendships in different areas of my life. And it just becomes something I've always done. So it's not calculated, it's not work, it's simply I'm building relationships in a genuine way and move on. And then eventually it'll come off what you do for a living. And then that, that's when, you know, the claws come off and you start to think about maybe they even needed the next client or their son or their cousin or somebody. Uh, what were your parents like? Uh, so my dad's old school now. He's an Italian guy that was raised in Portugal. Um, he grew up, he had a tough life. He, uh, was father passed away before he got to know one. There's a younger stuff for brother who have already moved away. Um, my grandmother, our family were a bunch of sea captains staying back probably five, 600 years. So when my father turned 16, my grandmother brought him down to the docks to a family member and won the ship and said, here's my son, take him out to sea and don't break him back till he's a man. And they kept him over on the tube and wearing the cafax for a chido. And then he, he hung out there for a little bit and then moved to Africa. And now um, bought an old Indian motorcycle and rode all over Africa for two years. And worked there and then went back to Portugal and then went to New York City. So he was a hard, hard guy. He still is. He's 89. Still rides a Harley. Um, toughest son of a bitch you're ever going to meet in your life. Cuts no one any slack ever. And I was the firstborn son for this man. And he made damn sure I knew how to hold a screwdriver or a wrench at the age of the ray. You know, and, and they were satisfied. Um, I don't, I don't think to this very day he's satisfied with me. He just, if you're telling me there's something great, I look at the union building. You think he could have done a better job at that? Like there's never been a pat on the back. It's always been, tell you about to do them better. Um, 
when that drives my problems in my nuts to this very day. But one day I even asked him, I had already been Dakar many, many years. And he said something to me. I was a little tech man, finally mustered up the nuts to Don Dillon saying, what's up, Alan? And I said, you know, why are you so hard on my brothers and I? I mean, we're doing well. Well, I think I reached a point I was doing better on waste than he had. And he just turns around and he says, look, um, I don't know if I can say this. Um, you could say there'd be, yeah, he just looked, turned around. He says, I'm not raising pussies. I'm raising men. And he says, are you a man? I said, yeah, I'm a man. He goes, well, then you should be thanked to me for that. And then a conversation went on about it. Us to my jobs, about something. It was just, that's my dad. I mean, all the time you, you, you hate him for a little while, you love him. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I think I'm a fairly tough guy. I handled life well. And I, I got older back and think, well, it's probably because I lived in his house. Now, my mother, on the other hand, she's the happiest little Brooklyn Italian girl you're ever going to meet. She's much shorter than she once was, but she's angry. And uh, she's a cool chick. I know they're both still around. They're both still around. Yeah, we're going back to Rhode Island to visit them. Um, obviously, we can. No, yeah, they're still, still alive. They're not married. But they live near each other. They act like a married couple. They got the plus a long time ago, but they're, you know, they still argue and yell at each other. And like, they're good. Mom's cool. Mom's a cool lady. She she gave me the love of music and like, she listened to them, everything from Stones and Zeppelin to Roberto Flack and Sleepy Wonder and Yining, Sinatra, definitely Sinatra, definitely Jerry Vale, Frankie Valley. And did you get your, your passion, uh, for motorcycles from your dad? Yeah. 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 In fact, um, when we left New York city, we moved to Connecticut, he bought me a mini bike and had, I was 12 and, uh, taught me how to work on it, taught me how to ride it. Then when I was like 15, he bought me a Mindero bike on off road, taught me how to ride that. And then, and just blasted it from there. He always had a motorcycle in the house. So we were always riding. So that might, one of my brothers is big Harley Acton. What's your, uh, what's your best memory? Uh, your parents collectively or individual with them? Um, uh, my best memory, um, holidays, Sundays, Sundays, definitely Sundays, um, holiday meals, gathering with family, you know, the table full of family, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, it all shouldn't They've had a couple of pasta dinners in your lifetime. Ah, a couple once or twice in there. Talk about the the family dynamic. I think that we are under like spiritual warfare. I think that the household is under attack in the United States and, and across the globe, whether we want to get political or not. I think it's just the truth. I think a lot of issues are a result, problems in the own uh, childhood trauma, specifically not having a, a man, a leader in the house, two or three. Do you think that we are in a unique position in society? Because I can tell you right now, there's, at least in my life, and the people I know, not as many family dinners. There are Netflix and there's less food and Monday dinners. There's less family unit. Yeah. Share your thoughts on what it means to be a, a man, a father, a family. Being a man... A family man today is different than in the 1970s. I mean, those are the days and the hand fall mindset. But 
there's a lot of character traits and values that came out of that that shouldn't be in place today. There's a lot of it, a lot of that behavior shouldn't be left in the past. I, I recognize in my 28, 30 years of being a parent, um, that I've had to change how I communicate with my children. I had to better understand them. You know, early on, I was rough construction worker, but it was a lot of daddy words flying around our house, you know, with, uh, dropping an F-bomb here and there and, and, and trying to teach my daughters about life. I learned that I had to be a little softer. It took a long time. I think, I think the accident really softened me a lot, but I think that in looking back at my dad and how he raised his sons, I learned a lot of what not to do as well as I learned how to be following me a good dad. Uh, I think today there's too much distraction for all of us. It's not just the kids at the table with the cell phones. Um, you know, my wife and I had dual careers. We were going in different directions most every day. But the one thing we always did was we had dinner on the table with our daughters most every night. And if it meant it was eight o'clock, eight thirty at night, that's when dinner was. No one was eating until we were all together. So there you had a chance to influence your children and nurture them, care for them, love them, educate them and find out what their lives are really all about. Um, so things have changed and you have to change with the times, but you have to have some foundation, some root system to what family life is about. And, you know, try telling your kid to put the cell phone down during dinner, you're going to get a dirty look and, you know, that doesn't fly well with me, but you sometimes you got to bite your tongue a little bit and then find a different way to parent to help them understand, um, pay more attention to mom and dad or your sister. You know, this is the bus. This is it right now. Yeah. One thing you said, which is what the team and I are talking about all the time, which is communication. You can really like adapt in your communication. This is why I love doing this show is it forces me to thinking better. I've removed distractions, right? It's just you and I right now. Right. And, uh, that's, that's a huge takeaway is happens is knowing how to communicate, adapted your communication, but a lot of times it's actually what you don't say in terms of communication and or learning from your peers or uh, your parents on uh, the things they did that you didn't like and, you know, kind of remove that, right? Let's talk about the, uh, the distractions. You were the realtor, you're running around showing houses all day long, tons of clients, the market was on the upswing. Uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken, your daughters were just getting to college or uh, just had enrolled in college and you know, had a, a freak accident. Um, yeah, life slowed you down. You had no other option. The family unit was tested in a big way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My oldest daughter had already graduated, was already well on her career path. My youngest one was just going into college and it was the toughest on her. Um, she, she took it the worst, I think. And I think still to this day, she struggles with my situation more than her older sister has. Um, the, the, it came down to really what kept it all together was my wife because while she was in the hospital with me for probably 16 hours a day, she'd always come tabs on everything. 
and tried to rein everybody in at all times. Um, there was a lot of emphasis on the family unit at that time. Um, very easy for us to splinter at that time. Um, I went down um, a pretty bad path with my accident. And uh, I think we talked about this once before. Um, I died three times while I was in the hospital. And um, whether you believe in this or not, doesn't matter. Um, I had a near-death experience where I was visited um, while I was, I was flatlined the third time. And I had an angel right behind me with me watching what was going down. I was out of my body, I was looking down and recognizing that I was gone. Doctors were trying to save my ass. And all of a sudden everything got quiet. And I heard a voice behind my shoulder. It was a dude said, are you ready to come with me? And I look back and I realize, oh, this is, this is real. This is what we're taught. You know, growing up as a Catholic, that there's another place, the time after death. And I realized that my family was going to suffer tremendously if I left. And I asked if I could stay and be with my family because I still have work to do. And my aim, they'd go right ahead and I'll be here when you're ready. And next thing you know, boom, I was right back to my body in the chaos. So my mission then was to fight to stay alive, to still be a parent, to still make sure I'm, I ushered my daughters to a place in time where they could be self-reliant and cope with life and taught them that we don't quit. We keep fighting. You, even if you're dead, they're still, they're still dying to get your shit together and, and, and move forward. I mean, that, that, I think, I mean, maybe if you ask my kids, they have a different take on it, but now I see like they kind of know everything that I don't. Uh, was it, 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 it got to where the fight was about the family, keeping the family together and uh, trying to, to keep my family together. My wife and my sister-in-law, um, my sister-in-law quit her job and moved from New York State to Connecticut, I mean, to Ohio, to help take care of our house and our family while my wife stayed in the hospital with me from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. and 4 eight months and three days. So we had the family unit. So it wasn't my wife and it's my sister-in-law. Mary trained everybody to make sure our family was whole. And we're still that way today. Yeah, for those that are not aware of the accident, um, it's the epitome of your your passion. It can sometimes be your pain and your pain can be passionate, right? Unfortunately, it was a motorcycle accident. Um, obviously welcome to share the details if you'd like, and that's it right there. It's, you know, have a choice, right? And my message, when I come to this podcast show, one day I try to remind myself every single day is victim mentality, right? And that it all comes back to no matter how much money you have in your bank account, uh, no matter your situation, where you come from, what you're doing, we're all the victims. If we decide to be, whether it's for three seconds, it's easy to do, right? It's easy to do when you died and flat one even three times in a hospital and, um, it's out of your control. So what does ending victim mentality mean to you? And how did you build 
a mentality that you were going to get out of that hospital in eight months and three days. My wife wasn't going to let me die. She made that clear. There was no choice for me. Um, but I, you know, to have a, I, I, when I, the first week I was in the hospital, I had nine surgeries. And after the first surgery, I woke up and I asked Christine, my wife, I said, what did they have me on? Um, some pills. I said, because, you know, four and a half years ago, there was a big oxen problem in, in Columbus. And we're everywhere. We don't even buy it. We were seeing it on the television every day. And I was fearful about me going down that path of a drug addiction. I don't have the addiction to anything, but I was worried about that. Um, and I came out of surgery and I asked her and I said, find out what they had me on. And cause I don't want the anoxine chair without on anoxy a lot of it. So we made the decision that we were going to petition the doctors to get me off of that, which was fun to try and tell surgeons, you know, I'm taking drugs and, and you know, I, they got the, 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 the nerve of one guy to tell me was the decided you have no idea how much pain you're in. You need this drug. And I was like, you can get that out of my room. I'm taking Tylenol and coffee to call it in the day. And that's in four and a half years, um, no pain meds. I did that because I'm, I'm paralyzed from the chest out. I don't you know, Jack from here down. Um, there's a lot of problems with pain and uh, I did not want my daughters to not only have a busted body and a father, but I didn't want them to see me, but a drunk addiction, drunk addiction student. Um, and really be useless to them. So all I had left was my mind and my heart. And I decided to forge forward with that. Um, and it was really because of my love for being a family again, my love for being a husband and then a dad. And it's my job to make sure they're okay. Even if, you know, they have to help me put on my t-shirt or put shoes on my feet, which I didn't you know, through all that. So it just came down to what I was raised with family is always first. You can hate each other sometimes. You know, if you have a sibling, I'm sure if you have a brother or a sister, you fight, you know, I'll each other, but my family's perfect. If someone came across and, you know, looked at you probably the wrong way, you were jumping ugly with them. You know, even if you hated your brother at the time. But family's always been number one. And if there was ever a real good opportunity for my children to see it, it was in this part of my journey they've seen it and they know it's lost in carb. We've sacrificed a lot for our children even after our injury to make sure that pull. And just for the record, you said you had a lot of problems with you now. You had a lot of problems with you before the accident. And so let's set the record straight there on I'm not hurt. You shared the power of visualization with me when we spoke on the phone the other day. And you said at best, all you had was your brain and your heart, right? Right. But you used our visualization to them. After nine surgeries, paralyzing the chest down to take a couple of Tylenol, bring me some coffee. Yep. Let's get this shit done. Yeah. Share that process of visualization and how you integrated that uh, in the journey of getting to Moss, how you integrate that in your day to day life now. Uh, how powerful has that been? That saved my life. Totally saved my life. We had, so I, I play around with photography 
And uh, I have for many, many years. And I had um, a negative doctor and come to me because they realized I was a mess and I'm not playing by their day. It was taking me in drugs. And I had this guy talking to me. I should back up a step. I reached a point after I thought I was pretty tough and not taking meds to realize I couldn't handle this anymore. And um, now a lot of people know this part. Um, I um, couldn't deal with it. And my best friend, too, was also my attorney. Um, I asked my chargers to get him in here to talk because I wanted to expire. I didn't want to live. Uh, I couldn't do it. The Tylenol and the coffee wasn't cutting me. Um, the good people at Folgers and a brewing gun. I just couldn't do it. And I decided I wanted to die after I could make this commitment. And then we got my, my test friend in there and we talked about it, talked about the hospital. And I was living on a dental lake for quite a few months. And it came down to the fact that I could ask to be unplugged and they would have to comply because I was on sound mind. And they said, yeah, we can, we can do it right now if you want. And they'll do it. And I, I was having this meeting on the one day my wife was coming in early because I didn't have to guts out this conversation in front of Christine. And uh, as we're talking about it, who decides to come in to hear the high heels clicking into the hospital? And, um, my wife. So I had asked him, can the conversation, let's bring this back uh, another day. And she wasn't aware of it. Um, but because I had asked to die, they started to send me ministers, priests, psychologists. They sent me a palliative doctor. And this guy came in, he was a cool dude from Clayville. And he just came in and he's like, okay, you know, how do we get you past all this? And it was his idea, because he heard I was into photography. And he said, if you have any pictures, let's print them, paste them to a wall. And, you know, from time to time, just space out on those things. So we did that. And the beauty of it was, you know, during the day when I'd have extreme pain, my wife would pull one picture off the wall and sit on the bed with me. And we would look at this photograph and she would ask me to remember every step of the way from the car to that place in the woods that I was kneeling down, taking a picture, long went down. What do you remember? What did it sound like? What did it feel like? What did it smell like? How cold is it? And we would sit there, she would sit there for two to three hours, reminding me and asking me and walking me through the woods and walking me back to my car, taking off my snow gear. Um, that would go on for many, many days. And sometimes it would happen in two hours, the pain would subside. Sometimes it was three. Most of the time it was three. And then I'd either fall asleep or the pain would go away. But I had to do that because I was totally committed to him. I would have rather been dead than been addicted to drugs. Figured if I was gone, my kids wouldn't move on that way. But if the last thing they knew about their dad was he was addicted to painkillers, that's a shape thing to need children to remember you by when you're adults and grandparency. So I decided this was the path in my life. Between her and Vosporos, that's what's saving. Um, that's why I'm here.
And Christine and those bitches kept me alive. So I use that still because I'm in pain every day. I'm in pain sitting here talking. It's tremendous. Um, but I found a way to get used to my pain. And every now and then, when you, you ask her, I'd probably stare at pictures, you know, a good hour, two hours every day, different photos, because it puts my mind in a place where I can stay lazy and focused until the pain fades away. It works. Share what you do with the uh, photographer side of dance. I love uh, the question that you asked me. Oh, yeah. And, and you do have your Instagram. Yeah, on your social media account, that didn't find anything. So it's, yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing that up because I like doing this right now. So uh, I have an Instagram page called Portraits on Polaroid. Um, Polaroid being a film camera instead of photo sister. Um, when I was in the hospital, I was very lucky. I had, if amens, well over 300 visitors. And in in the beginning when I was, when my body was deciding to quit and leave me for, you know, den there. Um, I'd sell out visitors and, and then, like say, if it was you come in, I would see your face. And when you'd leave, the last thing I saw was your face. And I would cry because I'd realized, shit, I'm so vulnerable physically that that may be the last time I see your face again. So I would, you would leave and I would cry when everyone left for fear that I'd never see someone. And um, I come roll out of the hospital right before COVID, December 5th, 2019. And by March, we're rolling in COVID. And I was isolated. As much as I had visitors, you're isolated in a hospital. It's terrifying. Being in a hospital sucks. That's the scariest thing you could ever experience, especially for eight months. We rolled right into COVID, more isolation. So I was dependent upon social media to keep track of people. Um, I couldn't really talk. I had, when they removed the trach out of my neck, the whole neck closed up for 14 months. So I couldn't really talk. I used to have to keep a bandage over my throat and push on the hole to get a sound out. So I wasn't good at talking on the phone. So I was really locked into my house. I was using social media as a means of interacting with people. But at that time, the world turned to shit and everybody was arguing with each other. And then we got these idiots running the president and changing the country. And I'm watching people rip each other apart on social media. So I couldn't even use that as an outlet to keep track of what's Tyler doing this weekend and just watching somebody complain to Tyler a mom's lifestyle or whatever. So was, everybody's busy canceling each other out. So I decided when I got my act together that I'm, I like social media. I really enjoy it, but there was too much anger. So I decided I was going to start punting out sort of stuff that no one could argue with. No one can cancel you for what you said. So I went back to my time in the hospital and I thought, well, what's important to me? Seeing my friends' faces. So I decided I was going to start taking portraits of my fracks or the people I interact with. But because I'm a realtor, you know, houses and homes are on your mind every day. So I started to think about what home meant to people and what was important about home. And so I asked the question, 
when I say the word home, what comes to mind? There's no wrong answer. Uh, everybody has a different answer. We may have the same answer, but it means something different. And I would ask that question. No one can argue with me. What's Tyler's answer? No, that's bullshit. No, it's real. Um, and I decided to use a full array camera because that meeting is not forgiving at all. In fact, it's hard. You know, you look at a portrait picture of somebody, you know, the film is terrible. But what I don't like is, you know, if I was to take, if someone's going to take a picture of you and I, they're going to take a burst and maybe 20 pictures in two seconds. And then you and I are going to scrutinize them to make sure, you know, I was looking the right way. Is my gut showing? Yeah, I'll take another one, that bullshit. So I decided a Polaroid was going to be the way we're going because everyone expects it to look like shit. Um, there's not going to be a second picture because it costs me like a dollar ninety every time I fire the show and bought now I'm cheating. So I went with an unloving medium asking him a question about a topic I'm passionate about homes and portrait pictures because I always want to remember people's faces. So I waited till I had a hundred photos of people and I've had a hundred conversations about what's most important to that our home. So it takes me a few minutes. I get to have a beautiful, quick conversation over what's important to you, what your love is in our home. Um, some people have horrible answers that are my horrible memories. I heard one recently, a young girl, when I asked her about, I asked her the question, she told me, I don't know what home is because my parents never owned a home. And we moved at the end of every lease. So every year I was at a different apartment in a different town in a different school. So I don't know what it's like to say I have a feeling about playing. There's a complete disconnect. First answer, I, I receive like that. Most of the time it's family, it's memories, it's the location. This was the one time I got an answer that I almost cried. I felt so sorry for it. I felt like going... Let's go get you more pre-approved for a mortgage and that. get you in a condo or something, kid. We got into something. You put up your own damn Christmas tree now. So I waited a year, it took me a year to get a hundred photos. And I just, in the last several months, started posting them. I think I have maybe 50 of them up. So I may have taken your picture a year ago. And now I'm calling you back saying, hey, we took this picture. Um, this was your answer to my question. But what does it really mean? And then I get down to five or 10 minute conversation with someone or with something that's so beautiful. And now I just have a quick little write up. I put their picture up, who they are, maybe how I know them. And um, it doesn't get a lot of lust, but I'm not putting it out there to get all the thousands of likes and stuff like that. I'm doing it because it makes me feel it. But it also allows me to reconnect with, with you. Which, by the way, I think I'm taking your photo. I brought the follower in with me. Yeah. Um, but it allows me to reconnect with people and for a few minutes talk about something so nice. And now I get to sit and put it online and I get to reflect on that. I get more phone calls from people that tell me that they, they watch it. Um, they're not reacting to it, but they're watching it and they look. I've got a guy down in Tampa, Florida who'd lay on a roll of posting gratitude photos and calling friends out. And he posted that in honor of what I'm doing, he's decided he needs to start honoring his friends 
And I'm thinking that's, that's what this is about. I don't give a shit. There's five likes or five million likes. This is, so I, I became the change I wanted to see on Instagram and Molly's small peanuts out there. It's impact in people, but it's given me something to feel good about when I'm on a social media. One thing I can relate to, it might just be near time, but I don't know, but maybe because I'm four foot tall. But are you there, Chan? And something like that, and I ask what these, um, it's high heel shoes on the, your mic on your body, and I was just like, and doubt that. You need to But anger, uh, yeah, I don't know if that comes from like your phone, or I don't know if that's an Italian thing or various math for no reason. Um, but I recognize a pattern in this conversation where ever since I've known you, you've never shrunk me as a, an angry person, <laughs> other than potentially being angry that other people are angry. And very yeah. loving and caring then through your actions and your career and how you raise your daughters and entice people to have to, you know, what their wife has done for you over the years. Um, that's, that's really cool that you share that. What are some, do you, do you write? Do you write? I, I, yeah, I do. I'm actually, my oldest daughter, Rachel, convinced me to, to go online as a, and um, the website called StoryWorth, and it's on storyworth.com. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. Um, it allows you to reflect back on your life. Once a week, you get emailed to posture about your life, and you get to write about it. It's really for you. So the first question I was asked was, Bob, is your mother like when you were a child? And then the next week, I'll be your father like growing up when you were a child. And then it just starts to go down the line from when you were little up to an adult. So you get to write, you can write a paragraph, you could write chapters to get out of photos. So I use this um, as a vessel for me to get out some of my creativity, but it's also, uh, it's going to be produced into a book after a year, they produce it into a book. Um, so that, that is, I love doing that. And I go through ways where I may do three or four answers in a row and I won't do it for a month. But outside of that, I've always journaled, but I, I got ATD and I'll start a book and that's what you need. I'll, I used to start with just a composition notebook here, used to bind for school. I mean, starting there and as I thought I was smarter, to buy like a fancy journal book. But I can get like six, eight, ten pages in and I'd abandon the damn thing. And now, if you're like, we're purging in my house, I'll find notebooks from like 2006. And I'm like, Jesus, where's my mind now? I'm reading this. Holy shit, I'm glad I stopped there. And because what I'm writing, like, will make what I wrote then doesn't seem to make any sense now. But, but what was it? Just like Susan's got a show in at one, two, three, mean. Um, and sometimes I was bitching about the weather. Uh, I mean, I have journals that go back to when I was in construction and I would talk about the weather a lot because the weather had an impact on your day. If it's 10 degrees out and you're working on the snow, to have a shitty day. Um, I can remember writing when I'm talking about how I wanted to um, eventually be a homeowner. Uh, I'm tired of paying rent. Uh, talk about the struggles of being upon, uh, a family with brothers, fighting on my brothers. I talked about when I was younger, I was into bodybuilding. I'd be talking about my, my progress in the gym and my calories that I consumed that day. And so it was all random stuff. Nothing, I never followed through on any of it. And now I have scattered notebooks 
different places in my house that I'd find every now and then. And I read them and throw that shit in the garbage. I don't want anybody to see that. Uh, I should have known you were a meathead. Yeah. Oh yeah. In my prime, what did I get to? Uh, 235 at 10% body fat. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was a beefy dude. Were you on any juice or you on El Naturel? I'd eat a lot of protein. Okay. You're going to ask her, I mean, I, for years, it was chicken, rice, broccoli, mm. 18 egg whites a day. Uh, it was, you know, gallon, gallon, half of water every day. It was boring, but it got me there. Yeah, and the moon and the water now, it's absolutely terrifying what it's going to men's testosterone, so overall health and wellness. What are some that you have followed through? Like you said that you didn't follow through with any of those things. I think you followed through with quite a few things, but what's the one thing that you're most proud of that you have followed through with being a family man? I, I know you're looking for a different answer, but I am most proud of the fact that I did with this girl for a long time. Um... I'm sure that some days she would like to joke me because I'm not easy to live with. But I love the fact that I'm a dad. I love the fact that I'm a husband. I love the fact that I mean, even her sister has been in my life for 36 years. I'm surrounded by these women that can finish my sentence because they know everything about me. Um, that is what I'm most proud of. I, I, I can't imagine being successful in life consider myself successful without having the people around me for multiple decades. So it may not be the flashy glam answer you want, but I think that that's what I'm most proud of. Now, I love the fact that I was raised blue collar. I love the fact that, you know, if you didn't show up, you didn't get paid. Uh, if you left early, you were docked. Um, I went through two different apprenticeships as a playfitter and was abused by a juryman and foreman because it's part of your rite of passage. Um, that enabled me to be tougher than others. Now, I, I say that in a humble way. I, I didn't survive my accident, and I didn't survive getting here to be able to do today because I'm meek. Um, I, I say that, and I'm embarrassed to say that out loud because it sounds... You know, if someone just heard this click, they'd say, what in the ass? But um, the toughness that I was raised with, it's allowed me to survive so that I can move on and do more work. So I think those two things, really, everything else to me is trivial. I didn't chase a lot of money. I didn't give a shit about a lot of money. I mean, now today, I really did. But, and it was never part of my character. You know, I'm wealthy with my relationships. Now, I know friends that are, very wealthy financially and they're miserable sons of bitches. So it's like, I watch this guy that's got everything he can buy. Tell me how he hates his life. You know, and I'm in the same house I've lived in for 20 years and, you know, and we could have upgraded. We haven't because it's not important. Name a few of those people. We could bet out uh, and get him. One of them's dead. Uh, he owns so many apartment buildings in Connecticut and I love the guy. Um, he, he was before all the creative financing courses you could take, he was doing it. He was owning multiple family buildings all over the Hartford area, built an empire 
And every time I talked to him, all he could think about was the next thing. He could not be satisfied with anything. And he'd come over to our house and have Sunday dinner and he'd look at our simple life and it would just to me chose. But great guy. As a family man, what does home mean to you? Memories. Building the memories. So my answer to that was a time and place that no longer exists. My answer was Brooklyn, New York. And in the 1960s and 70s, growing up, like my parents, my brothers, my grandparents, like just a few houses, right? My aunts, my uncles, all my cousins. Every Sunday, there was probably 20 people at the dinner table for, and we were there at my grandparents' house for probably six, eight hours. Um, that time and place in Brooklyn, New York is not even there. Everyone's gone. You know, if they're not dead, they're in different parts of the country. Brooklyn looks different. Um, there's no family gatherings like that anymore. That time and place, to me, it's own. Now, that's for me, it's just Arnold. There's the, the me that's Arnold with Christine, which to me is far richer. Um, but when I think about just, I mean, there's, there's Arnold, the family, and there's Arnold, that's just Arnold. Um, maybe you'll, you can share it. You can understand what that means, but there's uh, different faces in my life. There are different things to the place. To me, that I go back to my childhood. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I'm smiling, thinking about my grandfather right now. Joe, toughest son of a bitch you ever met in your life. It was a plasterman. When I came along, I was the firstborn son of his youngest child, my mother, his daughter. He was already retired. He was a union plasterman, built all these phenomenal and trademark buildings in New York City. When I came along, he was retired. So I spent most of my young years with him. And uh, he taught me how to curse at a very early age. And we used to make ice cream Sundays together. He taught me to be a, a loved men fan. Um, he was a cool dude, but as, as tough as he was, his biggest giant life was his rose bushes. So we'd be out in his backyard, water, rose bushes, all that. Yeah, that's, so I'm thinking about it now. I'm thinking about him. He's been dead since 72. Did you see me, uh, organized crime back in the 60s? That is, yeah. Yeah, it was there. You know, I was thinking about this. I had a feeling you'd ask this question. I, it comes up. People seem to associate my accent, where I came from, or ties to things like that. And our family wasn't about, but it was in the neighborhood. And I don't know if there were titles of labels for that shit back then, but we just know them as neighborhood guys. They just took care of things. So the part I saw was predominantly, we lived in a uh, very... Um, Italian rich community. And, you know, you go a couple blocks one way or the other, then wasn't that much of an influence for that culture. There was different cultures. Gang City had everything going on. Um, our few blocks well maintained, the streets were clean, the sidewalks were white cracked, the homes were great. My grandmother could walk up and down the block and say, Mag, no light would bother her. These guys just took care of everything. Um, did you see things happen from time to time? Yeah, you'd see. You'd see what was going on, but it was 
it seemed like the greater good. You knew all the folkies because they were your, your friends, uncles, or cousins, or brothers. But now I just saw it, but he didn't come across like they were doing anything shady. Came across like, oh, that's, yeah, that's Ty was that. That's Mr. Lucetti running numbers on the weekend, you know. And he was no big deal because he was sitting next to your parents in church on Sunday, you know. It was strange. I see it portrayed on television and that, you know, they glamorize it, but really it wasn't, wasn't glamorous at all. It was just, you know, that's Bristol Bassetti. Um, he's driving a cat like no one else is. There's got to be a reason, you know. Goodfellas, by far, best movie yeah. of all time. Entertaining one. Yeah, my favorite movie of all time. Not what's your favorite? Godfather. And do you go on down that thing, Godfather. And, and, um, I wrote about this in Story Worth, why that was, and made the most biggest impression upon me because while they were hyping up to the shady stuff they were doing, you really saw more, if you pay attention, the love of family, the taking care of each other, the nurturing of each other. Um, that, that's the part that, you know, I did grow up in the 40s or 30s, whenever that took place. But for love of family, you saw it, and that's how I was raised. You were raised with that. You know, where everybody's cursing and doing whatever they're doing Monday for Saturday. You know, at the, on the Sunday, you know, I have a deal with the grandparents, and we were dressed up. You know, yeah, go to, you had to go to church dressed up. You had to go to grandparents dressed up, and then they could change having I mean, church closed. Did you keep a lot of those traditions? We tried. We did. We did it when we left Brooklyn, moved to Connecticut. Uh, me and that many family or friends with us. My parents did a good job. My mother did an amazing job um, doing that. My dad was never home. He was a merchant marine. So he was gone eight months out of the year. Okay. My mother kept all that together. Um, and then eventually when I left and, and married Christine, we tried for the longest time to keep those traditions in place. Someday dinners got hard because we all lived so far from each other. Um, but we, we, once the girls were born and a few years old, um, it was easier for people to come to our house um, for Sunday dinner. So my wife would labor in the kitchen, making everything nice, and then she'd be a beautiful dress and look amazing. Certainly, everybody take care of everybody, clean the house, send everybody home and food. Then we moved to Ohio, and the big criteria is we needed a big dinosaur. There's just four of us coming. We need a big dining room because we have Sunday dinners. After we found out, we probably couldn't have bought better houses. After we bought our house with a big dining room, we realized no one's coming for dinner because they're 700 miles away. So we started to, we made friends here and we were transplants like us. So we started to have them over on Sundays to try and keep that alive. Along. And, you know, life, yeah, I become a realtor. You're not home on Sundays anymore. You're doing open houses. So I can, now I'm proud of the reason my company got pulled away from that. What do you enjoy most about Columbus? How nice people are. You know, um, I like the cost of living and I like the diversity. Um, I love that it's been growing. It's been growing since I moved here 20 years ago. The population is doubled. I guess everybody found out I was here and what's followed. All of these is cool. But I, I love how friendly people are. I love how caring people are. And they are, 
Uh, I think if you lived here all your life, you may take that for granted. You go to the East Coast, you can see a big difference very quickly. Um, people there aren't bad people, but people in Central Ohio, in my experience, are amazing. Especially like I saw when I was injured, health. I, God, how many families helped helped us out? Bins, dozens. People just stepped into our lives and would just come over to the house and cut the lawn or. We had a hundred straight days in a row. Dinner was brought to our home for my wife and my daughters and my sister alone. So that they all they had to do was take care of me. So it, it, I love the people here. I like the cost of living here. Uh, I wish there was an ocean here. Like get rid of the whole west side and play each damn for me. I'd be am. The side of it? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Turn it into a big beach. That's what I love the most about Columbus. And, and you know, there's so much to do here full three like that we have all these amazing festivals you are paying me you didn't to 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 go to your stage you listen to great music eagle good food um so there's a lot lot to do a lot what are some of those things that you guys enjoy to do and or give have on the agenda this summer on to do what columbus is it so actually now this summer we're trying to get out of columbus i think we've, we've been home too long you know i don't travel well I can't fly in this wheelchair. They break them on the planes. Um, we've been home too much. So now we're trying to start venture out and do more. But I mean, typically, like we, we try to go to every festival we can. And we try, I mean, we're up in Delaware County. We was telling the guys are out there. Like we used to come down to Sherrod North just to get an ice cream cone with the kids, just to get out of the suburbs. Was, I love this city. Where do you want to go? We're going now back this week at the Stone Week. I'm going to Rhode Island. In Connecticut, Rhode Island, I spent a week, 10 days out there just to be with family. Your parents? My parents are there. My brothers, one brother, I'm in Sam, Florida now. Um, we were just in Florida a couple months ago for a month. We're trying to get, get away now because kids are grown and gone. The house is empty. Friends have moved away. So this is the phase in our life we would have been getting out of here. Um, had I not been injured, we'd probably have been traveling a lot internationally. Um, right now I'm still not in a place I can do that. Um, but we, we, like, it's going to be a lot of small trips, um, cause we have to focus on driving my conversion van. Well, I, I say we, she's usually doing all the driving. Um, I drive, scares the shit out of everybody, but I can't rock it. Cause it's all hand controls. You're driving your wide crazy is what you're driving. Um, maybe that's why she always has that look on it. <laughs> I don't know. As far as, um, as far as your family, how do they handle the Axer Act? Um, I think, well, um, every now and then I'd muster up the courage to ask someone how they're dealing with it. And, you know, it's been over four years now. It's easier for them to to reflect back, but in the moment, I think everybody was holding their breath for every day. They didn't know what was going to happen to me. Um, like my wife has probably internalized it more than she's let it out. Um, my oldest daughter, I'm not quite sure where she's at. My youngest daughter, it had a huge impact on her negatively. Um, my brother's they're more of the, it is what it is. 
you know, what are you doing today? How's it going? They ask a lot of questions, but I think at this point, everybody's kind of like, um, still treats me with kid gloves. Um, I don't, I, I think they, they say nicer things than they probably really feel. I'm guessing that they're, they don't want to worry me with how much of a negative impact it's at. And so my family's a bunch of troopers. Yeah, I mean, or you could be wrong. I could be. You could be wrong. Sometimes I don't want to know. And uh, it's this is this part of my life is, is interest. It feels weird, right? If you had a father growing up that was hard nervous, you know, and you get shit done, you're from Brooklyn, you know, and uh, you don't ask for help. I doubt it. And here you are. You have no choice. Accepting help is not easy. How do you do that? Um, all I didn't accept is I bought it. And I had so many people tell me, it's, you know, just stop, you know, where we love you. And, and it's the didn't want out, the quitting off that, you know, I mean, my wife and I went two years without paycheck. Um, today's day and age is with the belt jab. That's hard to navigate. A lot of people, you know, wanting to feed it, swap and take over. Like I had a buddy, my mother to pay my homeowner's insurance for a year or two. Yeah. Just things like that. People, and, and there's like, and I'm, well, no, I can't, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. Little by little, you know, you don't mind having a, a dinner brought to you. You know, we, we're the type of people that we do to give, to accept care from others um, was embarrassing at first, but then you realize, Jesus Christ, I'm more worried about surviving. I was more worried about when the hell am I getting out of this hospital that I stopped thinking about who's cutting the goddamn wallet, you know, who's watering the bushes, you know, peeping in prick over shit. And after a while you realize, you know, God put these people in your life and they're here to take care of you because of the fact that you took care of them. And now it's time for you to just kind of swallow your pride and move on. You know, and I asked every time somebody did something, I'd say, you know, I don't know how I'm going to repay you back. Like, I didn't know how we were going to make next month's mortgage payment. Never mind, pay you back for any help you may have given us. And the answer from everyone was, no, just get better and come on. That was it. And no one would let us sip our cake. And after a while, you start to realize that it's, it's not about your pride. You know, I paid it forward and I didn't realize it for decades. And then I hear people tell me the shit that I've done over the years. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like something I would have done and disregarded. But, but do you do those things with the intention to get at something in return? Oh, hell no. None of them. I, I never, I never did for the return. So when people brought that to your attention and you know that you did that help it ease the pain of knowing that they're not doing it with any type of making tinder. No, I know they weren't doing it. No, I, they were doing it because they loved us. I know that it was so hard to accept because you, 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 I had too much pride. Um, my wife had too much pride. We were, we were in a, in a tough spot to accept. But then when you start realizing, you know, you know, we're all 
I think we were all put on this planet together at the same time in the same place to live life with each other and experience the human experience. And I think that um, I'm supposed to be your friend for a reason beyond what you and I even understand. So why, why try and figure it out? Why not just flow with it? And I do that with, when people help. Now, I mean, we all, we started helping others. We started raising money when I was in the hospital because we saw it in the hospital, people that were far worse than me. And we started, like, we started writing checks for people. Um, we bought ramps, portable ramps, to allow handicapped guys like me to go home. I mean, there was one guy, the first guy we, we, we took care of. I think I was home 20 days, and we, we gave him money that was donated to us. And we used it to buy him a ramp because he couldn't leave the hospital because he had no way to get in his house. It was broke. And his gas and electric were turned off because he didn't make his payments for two months. So we bought him a portable ramp and then we, we bought a few since then. So we're always, we're always at the giving mindset. And so many people gave to us, like that damn van on the island. People from Cal Williams in the real estate community within three weeks raised $93,000 so I could go off quickly and buy a van because we were renting a van for $900 um, and Mick Gordon of Keller Williams asked me that one day, he said, how are you doing this? And I told him, he was like, that's crazy, why don't you just go buy a van? I'm like, Mick, I am an end paycheck now and in here. I'm not, whatever we have less, I'm going to buy food. And he was like, that's bullshit, we're getting you a man. Did you guys have like money saved up? Some investment? We did. Yeah, like everybody else, you have a few, few nuts sprawled away. Um, we cashed in stuff mm -hmm. and it was just, you know, but it was, it was strange because I'm playing bed praying to God, you know, help me figure out how I can generate some income while I'm laying in the day. I, I negotiated one deal. Um, when I say we didn't paycheck the two years, we'd have a sporadic one here and there. And it would be like a referral. Someone would call me up and say, Hey, uh, don't know if you're out of the hospital yet. I want to buy a house and would refer it out. I had other agents take that client instead of working it and giving me a referral. They would just work it and give us the full commission. And so, you know, as competitive as we are as salespeople up against other salespeople, this Columbus market said, no, we're going to, you know, we have people run the past clients that need to sell stuff. And then they just send a check to Christine. So we found ways that you could scrape here and there. But after a while, you know, it was really two years before we started making any money. And, and then, you know, you, you realize my money's important. Those other things were far more important. But you guys raising money on a consistent basis now? We built up a nonprofit called Arnold's Ride. And it was initially set up while I was still in the hospital. And um, it was set up to help people who were in motorcycle accidents like me. We realized very quickly then that after came too narrow of a window to work with because there aren't any guys out of a, in a motorcycle accident, some more spinal cord injured guys. Um, but we had a, um, a board of directors 
And during causes, our, our Florida four people only looking for Neffin's directions. So I kind of lost the team I could trust and love to that. Plus, you know, during COVID, you could not go out and do anything. So that kind of dried up. We had a pool of money. We started to give some of it away and we still had a bunch of it set aside. And we talk about rekindling this because we have to use the money. But I think the world has kind of moved on from my cause, from what I wanted to do. And I think it's time that we maybe change our charitable arm to be open to a little bit more than just people that were injured on motorcycle rides. Fortunately, there's not enough when you help and anything like that. Um, it's something we're going to probably revisit and put together a team of people smarter than me um, to help us with a few bucks we have to use it wisely and to start generating new interest. Um, I think while we're pretty damn busy with life uppies, we're going to use something good to do like that. If you don't mind me asking, what are you guys doing bound um, to generate income and what impedes your interest on generating income? Um, what we're doing now is she's a realtor. So she got licensed a couple of years ago. I've taught her the business and she's all going out on appointments. And, uh, she gave up her career, how life comes around. She gave up her career when I got hurt and stayed with me for two years and then got her license and said, I'm not going back to retail. But she's got a lot of her play taking care of me every day, all day long. There's not a moment. If you call me, she's probably right next to me when you're talking to me. Um, unless she's out on Biden. So she's the one generating the revenue now. So I guess someone kept me in. Cock. She got it made. Yeah, look at this. She's laughing. She's like, you've always been kept. You, you found the right book. I did. I did. Just sometimes it's smooth. Jackpot. You say the right things, you get what you need. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna still challenge you. I'm sure to I wanna I wanna see you on more podcast shows. I wanna see you reading off your your story work. I wanna see you uh potentially writing a book. Uh, I think people yeah hear your message. You communicate very, very, very well. The reflection time that you've had might have a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm jumping to conclusions and assuming here, but I've always been smart. To, like it just brought us. I, I know. I know. Double one over my head. But what is something that you know, kind of lingers in your mind as far as like, I can write a book, I can speak, I can write, uh, do photography. And like, what, what are some things that come to mind potential? So, number one, we're all our biggest, own biggest critic. You know, a lot of self-doubt will cop up. You know, you're probably harder on you than anyone else is on you. I experienced the same thing. I'm fascinated by the fact that people think my story is fascinating. I think it's pretty mundane and more. I don't think I'll get, I don't think there's anything really that exceptional about what I've gone through and what I've accomplished. I know most people can't do what I've got, but I'm, at the end of the day, I'm startled, you know, but I recognize and I hear it. And my wife reminds me, um, I've made it a pretty big impact on a lot of people when they talk with me and they hear what I've gone through and how I handled it. I've had grown men tell me they changed their lives because of being next to me and witnessing my experience. 
I know there's power behind what I talk about when I've done, but at the same time, I'm too humble to accept that in my own mind. Um, it's uh, what do they call that imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I deal with that. Mm -hmm. Now I, I, I know I bring a lot of value, but like I just said that and in my mind, I'm like, shop. Um, I don't, I believe it, but I don't, but in really you have to, to get to your question. Um, I would love to be on the stage sharing my story. I just, when I think about doing that, I'm thinking, who the hell wants to listen to this shit? Um, what, what I'm hearing is my, mean this one weird thing called help. Yeah. How do I move forward? Yeah. I wouldn't know who to call. I wouldn't know how to address it. I don't know if I'm worth 2,000 an hour or 10,000 an hour. I don't know. I have a clone. I, 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 I'm also like, like you, you, you say, well, I see you did it. Well, what did you talk about? What do you think people want to hear from me? That's valuable. That's where I get stumped. I'm like, okay, I think that's interesting. But then I come, then I follow that. Then I almost going to pay me to hear me talk about that shit. Um, what, what do you think is interesting? I think ending your victim mentality is interesting. That's why it's my, um, it's my slumming. It's my, yeah. Uh, and all the, all uh, nothing matters when it comes to passive income, real estate deals, legacy, generational wealth, uh, the center of a trust. Tell me you're a character lecture that the living will and the revocable trust, the irrevocable trust, very lows to the insurance accounts and blah, 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 blah. It's victim mentality. So what's, what's interesting? I, um, so I never believed in that bullshit. Victim mentality. I mean, if we all go through that, don't cool, poor me. If Tyler did do this, I would have been better off. And then we all go through that. I think in our country, we are too addicted to taking pills to fix our lives. I, I have proved it. You can, you know, I know I say this without being vulnerable, reached out, read the nuts and go forward in life. Um, I've lived it. I'd live it and I'm proud of it. Uh, I think, honestly, without Dean Huntle here, I think I have a day of telling people, don't listen to all that garbage. Go ahead. It was it. I survived this. I'd lived in, in tremendous pain. And I laugh. We laugh. We, Astro, we laugh all day long. If I'm not laughing, I'm crying. Um, I think I can share the message with people, with people about perseverance, not quitting, because we don't quit. Every now and then I feel like quitting. She will humor me for a few minutes and then tell me to suck it up. So I, I, I think I can help people push through their pain. Uh, I don't want to be a Tony Robbins, that type of rah rah sort of thing, though. I'd like the guy and I just met him, I'd work with him. Um, he is in Milton, Jersey. Um, but I'd like to be able to share that, but I, I don't think I have enough belief in myself that people will be interested. I need more people to tell me, you know, Fulger, and what you say is powerful. Let's get together and do this. And God, show me the vehicle. I think you've already done it though. Can you bet the one thing that you maybe you sit on and realize is I think you've already done it. Um, from my understanding, are you involved in like a, uh, Cummins Italian community, I say, Columbus Italian, are you, you're not a mapper. You tonight, you know, you, 
Yeah, I think I did. It's coming back. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I remember saying no. It's the method I come back. Actually, I don't remember that, but um, yeah, I'm I'm involved with the Cornish Society called. They've been an amazing group to our friend and um, those guys. We got a minute for a quick side story here. Always got the the guys from the Italian club. Typical Italian fashion. I get a call. How you feel today? I'm doing all right. Oh, yep, his it is to me. Sure, I can be up business because I'd have to check the calendar with Chris because she would schedule default economy because me. It was easy to have 14 people in my room at one time mm-hmm. and no one leave it. Um, but the guys would call them and they'd say, how many people are going to be in your room tonight? And I'd say, ah, my wife, my daughter, maybe a little bit of a matter. So we're going to bring dinner. I'm like, oh, okay. So they would show off and be like four or five of them with enough food for a friggin army. And they come in with the pain and so the, 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 they bring everything from the plates and the spoons and meatballs, sausage, sausage and peptons, pasta, bread, ice cream, cannolis, everything. And they'd show up and they'd clear off every surface in the room and start laying shit out like a buffet. And the, the, the whole floor in the hospital would smell like an Italian restaurant and garlic was going through that place like we wouldn't believe. They break up the bottles of wine and we close the damn door. And sure enough, somebody had to come in to see what the hell is going on. You could lay in a hospital bed for four or five hours and you'd be a cure. You'd be pushing that goddamn button for a glass of water. No one would come in. These guys would show up. The room would be filled with Italians. And then all of a sudden, one by one, the nurses would come in, a doctor would come in. So to keep everybody from giving me shit, we would just feed them. So little by little, they knew, you know, oh, I smell garlic, Italian plums here. And sure enough, there'd be four or five guys laying out food, talking shit, busting chops, eating, laughing. Then they'd clean everything up. They'd make plates for everybody to send everybody home with food. It was beautiful. Well, yeah, we've been in Biden. I've been a member for 12 years with those guys. They're the best. You mentioned, I want to come back a little bit. You mentioned your wife. The real boss, doing this, that she may be taking this still, you know, art, right? Fair to say. I, what are some, or what's for dinner tonight before I should get it? Am I getting food? <laughs> I tease her. I tease her all the um, are, are there some things that you guys have, have done? Uh, psychiatrists, therapists, um, psychedelics, uh, Tylenol coffee, uh, um, as a couple, no, um, she, she, she keeps a lot in, um, it comes out, she's, I think she's totally committed to making sure I'm okay. Um, and I think she will, um, take one for the team on a regular basis to make sure I'm good. Um, we've not, we've never been that talk to therapist kind of couple. I, they tried to get me to talk with a therapist um, early on when I came home from the hospital. I did that, and they somewhat accused me of manipulating conversations with a therapist to make my therapist think I was okay. <laughs> there may be some truth to that. Um, I, 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 but I was sending people down the wrong path. They think that therapy is good 
for some people. I think talking about my problems to a stranger did not serve me very well. Um, they ask a lot of questions. I felt like I was being told that weren't going to hear. But what I was hearing when I was talking to them was me um, whining. Um, I, it wasn't serving me. And it was easy to distract my therapist. It was easy to manipulate. And I did. Um, I'm actually embarrassed to say that. Um, I guess that's what I do. Now we got true. I, uh, which trinity finally came out. Is it true? It's totally true. Oh, it's totally true. But I, I see potentially where you're coming from, right? Like just a lot of the upside, of course, but, but I think I, yeah, I know where you're coming from, where it's like, Hey, like Adam, I'm, for me, I'm perceiving this as, as whiny. I'm perceiving this as, uh, why don't we talk about this? I've listened to, listened to four. Here we go. Yeah. Are there other uh, habits, things that you do that you did not do before the accident that has changed a framework? Um, I developed this, well, because I lost everything, um, my appreciation for my friends found much further. So I make sure anyone that I interact with that I care about, I let them know that I love them. And I tell them why I love them. Not just, hey, man, I love you. I will tell you why I love you. Um, because they, we all may say I love you in, in passing, but nothing really kind of. Um, I made a practice of telling people that I cared about them, but I think about my family and friends and think about people. And I reflect upon it and I think about how can I make a change. How can I help? I started calling people for no goddamn reason and just to tell them, hey, I'm thinking about you and people like, I should be calling you, seeing how you're doing, but you're calling me to see how I'm doing. Um, I started working harder on my relationships. It takes my focus off of my junk and puts it on the month for others. Um, I have it, I could it's something we all do. You deal with what you know, you're doing your boot, um, time in the gym. I work out, um, free progress. Um, they, they, let me back up. In the beginning, they told my wife that all Arnold's ever going to do is nod his head, maybe shake it left and right. If the guy's lucky, he'll shrug his shoulders. And after she got done throwing up in the garbage can, she told that fucking doctor, that, uh, you don't know this guy. And he's going to prove you wrong. And I did. I work out with trainer, uh, exercise physiologist, um, Megan Bernice, girlfriend, mom, Whoopi, Ohio, um, tough girl. She was my train and she rides me into the ground. I train with her twice a week. Um, that has been the best thing I've got. I had some amazing physical and occupational therapists, but, um, but that challenge for me, they, they, they taught me very quickly, you have to embrace your pain. You have to go after the pain. You heard me talk about the obstacle is the way and I'm the obstacle. Well, I've had these young women just tell me point blank, suck it up. Now, Megan, we've reached a point in our training where 
Like I'm always thinking about what's next. What are we doing next? I'm getting my 30 seconds to catch my rep. I'll ask her what's next. And she'll explain to me. And I have a way in my mind to put myself in the right place so that I do it well. She's adopted the idea. She's not telling me shit. And so now I hate her, but I love her. Um, now she'll remind me there's no talking today. You go listen to my voice. Give me to do what I say. It's going to hurt. But in an hour, it'll be on. So if we don't talk. And she just grinds me into the ground. And then I'm a better person for it. So I've used that, that grinding, that exercise as a means of coping. And then used my ability to share with people on my drink care about like, um, I think people are tired of hearing that. I don't know. Maybe I'll fight him if they the love, the, those are some of the things I'm, I'm down the path to enlighten down that are um, making my place better. She caught on to her manipulative tactics, right? And she's like, hey, you become my wife? You know, Megan, the trainer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she's an Italian girl, too. So she's hurt. Yeah. She probably just, she was probably raised by the same type of guys. I don't know. What's, what's something that uh, people don't know about Arnold that you wanted to know about? Wow, man. I don't know. I talk so goddamn much. I think people know everything. God. Um, I talk about my family all the time. So there's no, there's no hit. The day of my accident, um, I was a good guy. That person who got on his Harley, went for a ride after work. And, uh, and if you looked at my Harley the wrong way, I'd give you a shit. Because don't go near it, don't touch it, don't look at it. I was that much of a meet that about it. Um, I'm riding through town and I get hit. Um, there's a whole story behind that. But by the time I hit the ground, I knew I had to forgive this woman for what she did. And I, I wasn't that nice of a guy. I was nice, but I wasn't that nice that I'm looking at my heart like trashed. I recognize that I can't move and I'm in extreme pain. And my first thoughts were, is she okay? And I needed her to know I was worried about her. I forgave her immediately. And that was the best thing that I have done for my recovery is to love on that woman. I pray for that woman all the time because she has to replay in her mind watching me all over the hood of her Mercedes Benz. Um, and then see me on the ground screaming. I forgave her, and that was the best thing I've ever done. And a lot of people don't know I, I've done that. A lot of people have heard this before, but most people don't. And I think it's important they know that the power of forgiveness is the best gift we can give yourself and others. Um, I mean, my, my life is kind of shitty. Um, I'm um, a three-hour project to get out of bed and get dressed and having a vacation for breakfast. I need two human beings to get me dressed. I need I need someone to shower me. It's it's bad. Do you wear my house in the morning and watch what I want for you? Crack. It's it's a bitch. Um, but I can no ill feelings to this one because while she ruined my life and in, in, in this way, um, I become a much nicer person. And a more loving man. So I guess that's what a lot of people don't know about me. Have I been able to harness the power of forgiveness 
and it, and it's, it's awesome. Exactly. And to wrap your head around that, I just, cause I'm from Mechanicsburg, doesn't matter, I can't even keep that, doesn't matter where you're from, you're human, D. Do you guys stay in touch? I'm not allowed to know. We, we had, um, court cases with her and that's, uh, I'm not allowed to talk to her. She's not allowed to talk to me confidentially. But it was funny, we had a deposition and I wasn't physically capable of going. So they had it on video and, um, I could hear them and see them. No one can see or hear me. And I was listening in and, um, she asked and they got sworn in. I was listening to this. I got, I mean, he said, no, my attorney was in a room and I was texting him back and forth. And, uh, they let her know that I wasn't there, but that I was on camera and they pointed at the camera and she walked up to the camera and just started apologizing to me. And I text my, my lawyer, this is what I want you to tell her. And I said, tell her I pray for her every day. Tell her, uh, I'm sorry. This is how we have need each other. And that I hope she has a good life and that I don't have any ill feelings towards her at all. And that woman lost, lost her composure completely. Had it in the room 15 minutes before they can bring her back in to the deposition. And, uh, that was probably the coolest thing I did for that woman. So I freed her of the burden of guilt. Um, so that's what people should know. And, and I think if you get a foreigner's forgiveness for something like that, you could forgive all the trivial bullshit that, that hurts us. You know, I, I mean, you wrote in the Italian culture, we hold grudges for stupid shit. I mean, at least the Santani's from Brooklyn do we get madly with a grudge for years. And I look back on my life with people that I pushed away over something now that's not every of you. If I could forgive you for putting me in a wheelchair and ruining my family's life, I could forget all the stupid shit that I'm not holding on to and I do. And it's beautiful. And it's so beautiful to just be luck on. And it comes back to you. Comes back to the world treats me some goddamn well. Get out of the universe and pay me back for what I'm going through. That's what they should not. You shouldn't begin. Don't hold in touch. Oh, at ah, a blast on the I wish I could keep going. Uh, ah, we'll do it on Alan and I get then go run to this again. And then she found me one of the fancy stories she's talking about. It sounds like you're the one that has all the, uh, the fancy music. Uh, she cooks for every day of day. I, I want to get her on next show. That guy didn't. You know what one? You know what? I'm sure she has a lot to say. She probably would be reserved, but, but I, a lot of women, it's amazing. Tell her how they have relationship goals and they look at her as the example for how they should go through life. She hears it all the time. She doesn't want to admit it and I'll be cringing right now. But I know a lot of women that have told her to her face, I admire you. I wish I was more like you, but you are an amazing woman. You're an example of what a, um, a good woman should be like. And you now she, she's smart. She's happy, but it's true. She's the, she's the real reason I'm here. She is. I mean, that's. And the definition of loyalty right there. Yeah.
And that's uh, uh, a big deal. And then a town of Cone Drone Community, Pan. She's got to come on that show. Uh, she's coming on that show. Hall of Rage, she comes with a price. And she's more expensive than you, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're doing a shoot lab. My people see the while he's taking care of it's trusting. Um, what else? What else is on your mind that you may want to share as we wrap up? You know, we see our world today, and we see um, the, the, how we're all divided, and it, it sh- this shit's gotten to stop. We have you, you go through my Polaroid project. Um, I have people in this tribe like that are on foreign countries that tell me how amazing the United States is, even with all the shit we got going on. I, I don't want to touch on the politics, but um, where this country is the most amazing place in the world that we're ruining it, and we're fighting with each other, almost in this shit, um, whatever it is, your religious beliefs, um, what pronoun you may use. We need to just let people be themselves and stop hating on people because when I interview people, when I talk to people, I learned that we have so much more in common with each other than we don't. I mean, I, I, I'm there for you laying in the hospital bed. I had a respiratory therapist, a guy named Dar from Somali, um, who woke me up at 2 a.m. to give me a breathing treatment. When I woke up, there was this guy's place right there in the dark in my room. Couldn't see him. All I could see was his teeth, okay? And and I couldn't understand him. And it took a while for me to get my shoot together to understand him. He was there to, to put a tube down. In that time I was in that hospital, I loved that man. But every time we looked at each other, it was obvious we were different. But as we talked to each other, I mean, this culture is so different than ours. But when we talked, it came down to the fact that we... With family men, we took care of our children. We took care of our parents. We loved our people. We disagreed on everything else in life. Um, he thought it was foolish that I had one wife. You know, I'm sneaking. He had five. Come say shit like that. Um, but what I what I'm what I'm trying to say, and I'll even coincide one path here, is we have so much going common with each other. It's so easy to see when differences, hear the differences. Uh, we eat different food, we have a different language, we dress differently, and my hair is different than yours. It's easy to see that and, and, and form an opinion. But we, this shit's got to stop. The hot we're fighting in this country, we just got to stop. There's not enough God in our world. And now now I'm going in religion and politics, and this is another show leading them. But it's got to stop. We got to start living on each other because we're going to see another catastrophic effect to face in this country. Like, I, you know, I lived in 9-11 when we were on the East Coast. You saw the world, your world blow up. And then all of a sudden, everybody was friggin' nice to each other again. And now we're on this path where we're fighting like crazy. Some shit is gonna happen here. And bad things will happen for people and all of a sudden we're gonna be nice together. Can you need to stop this before something bad happens? That's what's on my mind. I've been really worried about our country. So not to take your listeners down and path it. What what do you think is Dax? What do you think that bad thing is? Major war. Destruction. You have been quarantined one then? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We are 
no one's telling us. But if you pay attention, you could tell. Yeah. But it's coming. They were going to bring it to Australia again. And, and, you know, when you talk to a lot of people, and they say, we got it coming. We got it coming. We put our noses in places that should have been. Can't tell people what to do all inside. And nose comes out and it's oil. Yeah. Yeah. But they, but it, it's, it's just, I believe in the fact that God gives the opportunity to have the human experience. I've mentioned that. I said that especially before. We are here having a human experience. We were all in a different place together and volunteered to come here. My belief. My brother John taught me this. And he's right. I don't agree with him on half the shit sets that I agree with this. Um, we were here to have a human experience, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, I've had a lot of good. I've got some bad going on. But at the end of the day, when I go home and file rest, I'll be able to look back and knowing to something that uh, while we're here, we have to make the fest of it. A lot of us are spending too much time being angry. And this gift of life is very sure. You're very sure of me. It's not worth it. So forgive, forget, move on, and enjoy life. Tell your friends you'll love them. And you know, do the right thing. Last question. What do you love about yourself? Oh, man. Um, I'm honest. Um, I believe in saying what you really feel, if asked. You don't have to give me pain on anything. In fact, it probably shouldn't. But I like the fact that I have the ability to say exactly what I feel in the right way for it to make an impact and send out hurt people. Yes. Stop following myself. Wow. Um, yeah, that's what I like about me. Your hand did get a little bigger. Yeah, the headphones are tight. Yeah. From the, no, no, we started it out. I'm going to add it. Get some bigger hats. Arnold, again, appreciate it, brother. I'm excited to uh, thank you for uh, taking the time. I know that there's a lot more behind the scenes that I don't understand. Uh, I never will understand for you to be able to sit here and do this. Uh, so I take it very seriously and always look up to you and all the guys are uh, not staying in touch. Uh, you're building, does he build an empire? Trying to, yeah, trying my best. Keep following. Appreciate it. Bye. I appreciate it. You too, my man. We'll see you guys again. And, uh, next time we're going to have a real boss on. Oh, deal. I'll drive and sit in the corner on the blankets. Nice. Love it. I'll have your info below. Uh, yeah. All the podcast platforms, I would love for people to check out the portraits on Polaroid, on Instagram, anything else you want to share, whether it's something on social media, a website, you know, I did to working on. Uh, no, I, I, when I say a question, I thought about that. I wanted to keep it more, more humble. I'm not, I'm not pushing an agenda. I like my Polaroid body for now. I made it the next time I come out, I'll, I'll first up and if you get me on stages and we're writing the plug, I hope those out there. But, no, I just, I want to keep life simple. I want to keep it where we're all happy and enjoying each other. Work with smiling guys like him right there. You know, I feel better. Do you guys feel better? That was the hell of a show. Thanks, Honor. All right, you owe me a Polaroid. I got you. All right. Thanks, Tyler.